While Disney may be the undisputed rulers of animated blockbusters, there are still so many films from other studios that are just as amazing as Disney. While they gradually continue to buy up almost every company available, it is important to recognise the animation that didn't come from Disney Studios. Hi, I'm Michaela. And I'm Nicola. And welcome to the Female Film Fanatics Podcast. Enjoy your movie. On today's podcast, we'll be looking at some of the best non-Disney animated films. So let's get into it. (laughs) What are you doing in my swamp? Despite its presence online as an unsettling meme, Shrek maintains an 88% score on Rotten Tomatoes and even won an Oscar in 2002 for Best Animated Feature, which again speaks volume, as is difficult to beat Disney. For those of you who haven't seen Shrek, warning, spoilers. Shrek is a green ogre who discovers that his swamp has been, for a lack of a better term, swamped with fairy tale creatures by the evil Lord Farquaad. Shrek sets out with his very loud companion donkey to persuade Farquaad to give Shrek his swamp back. Instead, Farquaad, who wants to be king, sends Shrek to rescue Princess Fiona, who is awaiting her true love in a tower guarded by a fire-breathing dragon. However, it starts to become apparent that not only does Shrek begin to fall in love with Fiona, but that she is also hiding a huge secret. Even if you haven't seen the film, the plot is so captivating by itself. (laughs) Definitely, it hooks you in right away. Now for some facts, which there are a ton of for Shrek. I know, I got a message from Nicola after she finished writing her section on just on Shrek and she said she thought she wrote a thesis. (laughs) There's just so much, but it's all so noteworthy. The animation, arts and effects department really got into making every detail perfect. It took four and a half years to complete, which meant that they began animating in 1996, which is so impressive. The art director, Douglas Rogers, visited Magnolia Plantation in South Carolina to do research for the look of Shrek's swamp. However, he ended up getting chased by an alligator. To add to more dedication, the effects department actually took mud showers to study how to realistically portray mud in the film. If that is not dedication to your craft, then I don't know what is. Ooh, I'm not sure if I would go to those extremes, but it really shows how much everyone cared for the film. (laughs) Exactly. Another interesting fact relates to the song that defined 2001. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I don't know how you feel, Michaela, but All Star by Smash Mouth gets a bad rap for not being a great song, but I kind of think it's unwarranted. Yeah, I love it, even just for the memories of Shrek. (laughs) How it ended up in Shrek is pretty interesting. It was heard in the opening credits and was originally meant as a placeholder until a new song could be found. However, the test audience loved it and producers kept it in. They also decided that Smash Mouth would perform the last song in the movie, I'm a Believer. It was purely chosen for this line. What a banger. (laughs) No matter what version you get. Now, my last interesting fact about Shrek actually relates back to Disney. Shrek borrows a few ideas from Disney. Examples include Fiona singing with a bluebird, which is a parody of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Shrek and Donkey gazing at the stars is a parody of The Lion King, where Simba is taught about the great kings of the past. And Donkey flying is a parody of Peter Pan and Dumbo. 
The parallels between Shrek and Disney are crazy, and I even heard there were more links to Disney through the character of Lord Farquaad. There has been speculation that Lord Farquaad's appearance was based on the then Disney CEO Michael Eisner. Apparently Shrek producer Jeffrey Katzenberg had well-documented animosity towards his former boss and that came out in the character of Lord Farquaad. That is quite a dig to take at a former boss. <laughs> Absolutely. There are so many interesting facts about this film, but I'll stop there. So why is this film so fantastic? Let me count the ways. The animation was ahead of its time and made extraordinary strides in computer animation and special effects. The world they created was original and spectacular. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I definitely think that it contributed to the unique story they were telling. For sure, and it couldn't have been done without having a killer cast, consisting of Mike Myers, who got a bad rap for Cat in the Hat a few weeks ago, so he's made a comeback this week, (laughs) Cameron Diaz, Eddie Murphy, and Robert Goh. They have perfectly voiced characters that we've grown to know and love. Eddie Murphy brings Donkey to life, speaking at a thousand words per minute, annoying Shrek and making everyone laugh. Also, a special shout out to the feminist icons that are Princess Fiona and Dragon. I know, and Dragon is fierce and knows what she wants in a man. She doesn't actually talk, but her actions help save the day. Fiona fights, sings, cooks, and doesn't back down when proving a point. Need I remind you when Fiona beats up Robin Hood and his merry men? Please, monster! Can't you see I'm a little busy here? Look, pal, I don't know who you think you are. I know this is controversial to say, but Disney hasn't quite perfected their female characters like they have in DreamWorks. Now let me explain. Originally they made damsels in distress, but now they've overcorrected and have made them girl bosses with no layers. I think Disney feel that they've got to answer the audience question of what female empowerment is. Yet DreamWorks makes Fiona more multidimensional and she's not reduced down to a stereotype. She's strong, smart, sensitive, compassionate and yes, beautiful but without any of those features undermining the other. Please don't take it that I hate Disney because I don't. I love Disney and the princesses. But this is just another way of looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. I adore Disney as well, but you're right that they've had an uneven history of female strength. I think they're stepping in the right direction, they just need to take a deep breath and brainstorm a bit more. Now, another reason to love Shrek is the humour. The comedy is smart, careful, and largely innuendo. So many characters gave the writers ammunition to crack as many jokes as possible. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? Some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I am willing to make. Oh, this is gonna be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. Those bands at the start were excellent. I think they got away with more because DreamWorks wasn't as conservative as Disney. It always seems like they're going to drop some profanity but decide not to it right at the last minute. Definitely. However, while this film is hilarious, Shrek has its fair share of serious moments. The most obvious message of this film is don't judge a book by its cover. Shrek is persecuted and hated for no reason other than being big and scary, but on the inside he is kind and hurting from his constant loneliness. Even Dragon falls under this category, as she seems to be a terrifying monster, but is just looking for companionship which she finds in Donkey. What is terrifying is trying to figure out how they made the Dronkies. (laughs) Oh, I really don't want to get into that. It will ruin childhoods. And I think Shrek Love, Shrek is Life has done that enough for everyone. Yes, while Shrek has brought up some disturbing food for thought, 
The film is so perfectly summed up by Shrek himself. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers? You get it. We both have layers. Normally, I think I'm pretty diplomatic, but I will fight anyone who says Shrek isn't amazing. <laughs> I'll join you in that battle. And with that said, let's move on to our next film, which is a childhood treat for me. Dancing bears, painted wings, things I almost So in case you didn't hear the rumour in St. Petersburg, Anastasia is a beautiful film that tells the story of Grand Duchess Anastasia, her survival of the Bolsheviks, proven to be a false report in real life, and subsequent amnesia and journey to find out who she is. It's one of those films that if you grew up watching it, you might have thought it was a Disney film, probably due to the creators being two ex-Disney employees, but also it uses a lot of the same elements, not least of which is an amazing soundtrack. From upbeat songs you want to dance along with, to powerful ballads that let you in on the emotions of characters, the soundtrack to this film is incredible. Add to that the stunning visuals, which really embeds the audience into the world. Yes, the dreamy quality and downright fun of Anastasia is undeniable. Yes, dreamy quality. Once upon a December, anyone? Also, the next time you watch that musical sequence in the film, pay attention to the reflections on the ballroom floor. You may find that Anastasia is the only one with one until her costume change. Oh, I'm definitely going to look for that now. <laughs> also dreamy is the romance. <laughs> the chemistry is well established between the two romantic leads using a sort of running joke and some almost kisses to raise the tension. Don't talk anymore, okay? It's only gonna upset me. Fine, I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet if you will. Alright, I'll be quiet. Fine. 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 You think you're gonna miss it? Miss what? You're talking? No. Russia. Dimitri. Yes. Look, we've been through a lot together. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to... Yes? Well... Thank you, I guess. Yes. Thank you for everything. The character arcs of Dimitri and Anya, as she is known before, spoilers, it's confirmed that she is indeed the Grand Duchess Anastasia, are very satisfying. It's not quite realistic, as one can say about the entire film. Let's stop romanticising history, says many a historian, but it's very charming. We see these two characters grow from just barely tolerating each other to liking and finally loving each other in a believable way as they go on this cough cough wonderful journey <laughs> together. Throw in the comedic relief and voice of reason, Vlad, and you've got an adventurous, comedic and romantic musical that will stay with you for a long time. Gotta love those films for making people believe in those unlikely romances. Yes, unlike Shrek, Anastasia didn't subvert the tropes of Disney, it embraced them fully, to the point that many think of it as a Disney film. Not sure if that was good at the time for the ex-Disney creators, but I guess it fits now that Disney owns 20th Century Fox. Ouch. <laughs> well, moving on from that, <laughs> another character who's really interesting is the villain Rasputin. His real-life counterpart was far more controversial and wasn't literally falling apart like the film depicts in moments of comic relief to distract from the murderous rampage. Seriously, if you're not familiar with Russian history, I would recommend doing a bit of research. <laughs> 
Well, the animated Rasputin is intriguing and entertaining and actually sings the song that was my favourite as a kid. What a great banger to distract from such a disturbing man. Right? <laughs> Combining jaw-dropping CGI of worldwide landmarks, fantastically beautiful 2D animation, including dresses I want so badly still to this day, <laughs> as well as spot-on voice acting for each character and perfect integration of musical numbers and performances, Anastasia really is a film that will hold the key to your heart by the end. Holds the key to your heart. I couldn't agree more on how amazing Anastasia is. However, we've got to keep moving on. If you must blink, do it now. The third film on this list is Kubo and the Two Strings. This breathtaking film was released in 2016 and is an amalgamation of invention and imagination fusing both myth and visual storytelling. So for those who haven't seen this film, what's it about? So Kubo and the Two Strings is set in medieval Japan and follows 12-year-old eye-patched Kubo, who tends to his ill mother in a mountain cave near a small village. He earns his living by magically manipulating origami with music for the townsfolk, telling the tale of his missing father, a samurai warrior. Kubo is never able to finish the story as he doesn't know what happened to his father, and his mother herself cannot recall the ending due to her mental state deteriorating. Just to add more to the dramaticness, Kubo must not stay out too late as there are evil twins trying to take his other eye. Soon the past catches up to them and an old vendetta resurfaces, which Kubo must run and join forces with Monkey and Beetle on a quest to retrieve the helmet, the sword unbreakable, and the armour that would prepare Kubo to fight the vengeful Moon King. This quest would unlock Kubo's family mystery and lead him to fulfil his destiny. There is a lot happening in this film. (laughs) I know, but trust me, this film is well worth watching. Now for the facts. Kubo was the first stop-motion film featuring 3D printing. It consisted of at least 145,000 photographs. Kubo had over 48 million facial expressions and a total of 23,187 prototype faces were created for it. Oh, it's incredible to see how far animation has come, especially compared to, say, Coraline. Yeah, it's great to see that animation still has room to continue delivering films in new, innovative ways. Now, another interesting fact is that the director, Travis Knight, claimed that the film was a homage to Hayao Miyazaki, who we will both mention later. In Kubo, we see lantern-lit houses, a pale and luminous dragon flying through the air, and creepy characters in masks slowly floating. If you've seen any Studio Ghibli, you'll know what I'm talking about. I love to say that it's not only Disney giving us little Easter eggs to find in films. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice to see that despite being from different companies, that there's still mutual respect amongst the animators and creators. Yeah, and even if there is animosity, they take it and then turn them into characters like Lord Farquaad. (laughs) Either way, we're happy. Uh, Another interesting fact is how the title Kubo and the Two Strings came to be. Kubo plays a three-stringed instrument called the shamisen, Kubo is raised by a single mother who taught him the shamisen and through that told stories of his father. So the title is a reference to Kubo's family, how his parents are the two strings that with him make up the shamisen, which expresses emotional music. That is the sweetest thing I've ever heard. I know, Kubo really pulls at your heartstrings. So, why is this film fantastic? Well, despite the heavy backstory, it is a fun film that is suitable for all ages. It is excellent with its original concept and unique characters. 
Kubo and the Two Strings is a story about a great adventure, fear of loss, and the happiness of letting go a hurtful past. What this film is trying to tell us is that memories never fade. Even when someone is gone, they are always with us. The subject is well expressed, well developed, and doesn't feel forced, making it one of the most profound animated films. Your magic is growing stronger, but when we grow stronger, the world grows more dangerous. Before we all burst into tears, how about we move on to our next film? <laughs> Hush now, my baby, be still now, don't cry, sleep as you're rocked by the I know some people might not like to watch films based on religious stories, but The Prince of Egypt is a truly memorable entry to the animation genre. It doesn't scream at you that it's a Bible story and focuses more on the characters and their struggles. I agree. I think it gets so overlooked because I think the religious aspect of the film turns people off, but it's really worth giving a go. For those who don't know, the Prince of Egypt tells the story of Moses as he is raised as the Pharaoh's son before learning that he is in fact one of the Hebrews that was sentenced to die for being born. Through astonishing visuals and beautiful music, we go with Moses on his journey of self-discovery, ultimately leading to his parting of the Red Sea, which took 10 animators 10 years to complete, and escape from Egypt. Spoilers? If you don't know the Bible, I guess? <laughs> I think most people are pretty familiar with Moses and the Red Sea, so I think you're safe with spoilers. Oof, well, you never know sometimes. With big names like Val Kilmer, Ray Fiennes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, Patrick Stewart, Steve Martin, Danny Glover, Martin Short, and global treasure Jeff Goldblum, this film is memorable on so many levels. What an all-star cast. Ray Fiennes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Ofra Haza were the only five main actors who did all their own singing, but I think they did a good job in blending with the singing voices for the rest of the cast. I will not let my people go. Absolutely. Although I pointed out that the biblical nature of the story isn't shoved in your face, the production team did consult with religious experts to ensure accuracy. Also interesting is that to avoid controversy, all major actors voiced God. They were told to whisper the lines so no one voice would stand out, but by the time Val Kilmer, who voices Moses, came to do his round, they realised they needed someone to be louder. I think it adds to the experience of the film, because the main voice you hear while Moses is encountering God is Moses. That's really powerful. I don't understand. I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, I really like how they captured the ambiguity of God's voice, although I thought we all came to the consensus that God's voice sounds exactly like Morgan Freeman. I'm God. <laughs> Yes. Also, if you've ever heard the song When You Believe by Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, yeah, that's from this film. There can be miracles when you Another fantastic film that speaks to my childhood. While choosing films for this podcast, Michaela and I were both keen to cover at least one Studio Ghibli film because they are incredible. However, since neither of us wanted to tap out of doing a Studio Ghibli film, we're both going to cover one. Nick, you go first. Cheers. 
while this was a tough decision to narrow down, I'm going to discuss Spirited Away. The witch Ibaba controls you by stealing your name. If you completely forget it, you'll never find your way home. Your name belongs to me now. I remember watching Spirited Away for the first time in my year seven Japanese class at school, and I became captivated with the world that Hayao Miyazaki created. It began my love of Studio Ghibli, and soon I had binged almost all of his films. Spirited Away's animation is some of the best ever made, but it also has a solid culture-crossing storyline. <laughs> it honestly doesn't matter which film you choose, you just need one Ghibli film to start the obsession. <laughs> 100% agree. And with that said, let me give you a quick rundown of what happens in this iconic picture. Spirited Away follows 10-year-old Chihiro and her parents as they stumble upon a seemingly abandoned amusement park. After her mother and father are turned into giant pigs, Chihiro meets a mysterious boy named Haku, who explains that the park is a resort for supernatural beings who need a break from their time spent in the earthly realm, and that she must work there to free herself and her parents. She also meets a number of eclectic characters along the way. I would love to meet one person who can tell me they've seen a film that even closely resembles that plot. <laughs> I doubt you will find anyone. <laughs> Now, this Academy Award-winning film is Japan's highest-grossing movie of all time. It captured the hearts of audiences all over the world, and I hopefully will make you guys fall in love with Spirited Away if you haven't already with these amazing facts. It may surprise you, despite having well-developed characters along with a rich plot, Spirited Away was made with no script. Miyazaki said that he didn't have the story finished by the time that work on the film had to start. Instead, the plot developed as he started drawing the storyboards. The production would even start while the storyboards were still developing. Now, Miyazaki never knew where the plot was going, and he would just let it happen organically. From our research, I think this was generally how Miyazaki approached all his films. Yeah, I think that's so amazing that someone can just you know, on something that's the highest grossing movie in an entire country, that it was just kind of ad-libbed. That's so cool. Uh, I can't, I, I, I'm not sure whether the film I will talk about was exactly like that, but I do have other uh, Miyazaki tropes, I guess, to discuss. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing it. Now another fact is that Miyazaki helped his animators understand how the characters moved by drawing inspiration from animals. For example, in the scene where an injured haku falls into the boiler room, the filmmaker uses different animals to describe the action. First, when he clings to the wall, he resembles a gecko. Second, when he falls to the ground, he moves like a snake. When Chihiro feeds Haku medicine, the animators use a dog's mouth as a model. In fact, since nobody on staff had a dog, they actually went down to a vet's office with a camera. Now, even the iconic character of No Face resembled a silkworm, not only in how he moved, but how he looked. Mom! Dad! What's wrong with them? They don't remember being human. So look hard, it's up to you to remember which ones they are. Once again, another team of animators so dedicated to their craft. Definitely, it was so meticulously done that it looked effortless. But here's the question, why does everyone love it so much? Well, it's a solid story that hooks in multiple generations. It's beautifully animated, full of great imagery, with complex emotions and themes. It is deceptively dark with a great score. Honestly, what more could you want in an animated film? And you know what, it can be said that Chihiro starts the film as a whiny and childish girl, 
but we see her become a confident young woman by the end. It's not an easy transition and it causes her pain, but she gets through it and comes out better on the other side. It also subtly captures themes most of us can relate to on some level. These themes include moving to a new school, love for her parents, maturing and dealing with pressure. It's honestly subjective whichever Studio Ghibli film you find to be the best, but we can all agree that we know why Spirited Away became as popular as it did, both in Japan and internationally. There are so many other topics we can discuss in this film, but I think I'll stop there. And with that said, take it away, Michaela. (laughs) Well, I went back and forth between so many Ghibli films for this. First was Kiki's Delivery Service, because it's my personal favourite, then was Howl's Moving Castle, then As the Wind Rises, and I finally settled on Ponyo, because I was hungry so I wanted to chat about the awesome food animation. Ponyo is a feel-good story about a goldfish, stay with me, who escapes from the ocean and finds a friend in a five-year-old boy. They bond and deal with why Ponyo decided to leave the ocean to become human and her magic source. Yes, it's a bit of an out-there premise on paper, but it's so delightful and entertaining and has such a wholesome ending that it just works. Ponyo is so freaking adorable and it's actually a lighter contrast to Spirited Away. Yeah, absolutely. This film is the fourth highest grossing anime film of all time, and it truly deserves it. The animation of the water alone is so mesmerising, the characterization of the two youngsters is impeccable, and the music, just like all Miyazaki films, is sensational. I definitely think as well it's a great comfort movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I almost don't want to say anymore because I don't want to ruin the experience of this film. However, I wanted to take a moment to discuss the food animation. It's a common thread in all Miyazaki films that food looks delicious. You may think it's just because it needs to look good, but in actual fact, it looks that good because Miyazaki wanted to pay special attention and focus to moments of eating. Having been to Japan, I've experienced how sacred mealtimes are in their culture, so having films take the necessary beat to enjoy the moments of eating is unique, special, and really beautiful. Miyazaki has said that he wants to remind his audience to enjoy the small moments in life as much as the big ones because they're so important. And that's a super important thing to keep in mind. Mom! A goldfish! I saved her. She sure is pretty. Don't worry, I'll take good care of you. And with that said, Ponyo concludes our non-Disney animated film podcast. What were some of your favourites? Do you agree or would you have chosen others? You can follow us on Twitter at FFilmFanatics and make sure you catch up on our last five episodes. You can tune in next time where we'll talk about our top six favourite comedy films. This is Michaela. And Nicola. And this has been the Female Female Film Film Fanatics Fanatics Podcast. Podcast. (laughs) Woohoo!